This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org. Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam and I'm your host. And we have an exciting episode today as Richard recently had the opportunity to speak with Ben Mandrell. Ben Mandrell was elected the 10th president of Lifeway Christian Resources on June 28, 2019. As president and CEO, Mandrell provides vision and strategic leadership to the nonprofit organization headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Prior to joining Lifeway, he pastored churches in Colorado and Tennessee. A native to Tampico, Illinois, Mandrell graduated from Anderson, Indiana University in 1998. He holds a Master of Divinity degree from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and a Doctor of Ministry degree from Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. Mandrell and his wife, Lynn Lee, have been married since 2001. The couple has four children, Ava, Max, Miles, and Jack. This is a great conversation that Ben and Richard have. Uh, they talk about the big changes to Lifeway since he became a CEO. Also, if you notice, he became a CEO not long before COVID hit and, and uh, even more changes that that, that has brought uh, to that organization and uh, to him as the leader. Uh, and also talking about leading in the home. And so this is a, a fantastic conversation. And I think there are lots of things that you can take home and hopefully apply to your leadership uh, in some capacity. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Richard uh, for his conversation with Ben Mandro. Well, I know those of you who listen each week know that uh, one of my very favorite things to do on this podcast is to interview interesting, influential leaders and uh, leaders from business, leaders from church and other uh, avenues. But uh, this is especially a very, um, a, I think, just a really exciting interview we have today because I'm going to be with uh, uh, Ben Mandrell, who is the CEO, president of Lifeway Christian Publishers, who, those of you who know Experiencing God, he's the one who made all that happen with Lifeway and uh, all the different uh, Experiencing God uh, resources that are there. Uh, they're the ones who've been hosting that for over 30 years and uh, publishing it and so we are delighted to have uh, Ben with us today, and uh, maybe just let me just begin by having you, Ben, just tell us about yourself. Tell us your journey, because you haven't always been uh, a, a, a publisher. You've uh, done other things before then, and so tell us a little bit about your leadership right. journey. Yeah, well, honored to be on the show. Thanks for having me on, Richard. Um, never thought I'd be a CEO slash president <laughs> of a large organization. I was a just doing my thing as a pastor. I was a pastor in West Tennessee for 12 years and had a great church there. And God began to put a, a call on my heart, my wife's heart to plant a church. So uh, as all that was going well, we felt this divine disturbance to pick up and move our family a thousand miles west to Denver, Colorado and hmm. started a, a church from scratch there. That was a leadership exercise. <laughs> and that grew uh, exponentially. It was an amazing story of what God did in a very secular city. And about four and a half years into that, I get a call from the search team of Lifeway Christian Resources saying, would you consider uh, being our next president? And had no inclination immediately that I would do that. I mean, mm -hmm. it was really like, well, you must have called the wrong guy. I just planted a church and it's going really well. We're having a great time out here. Hmm. And yet you guys know the calling story from experiencing God. He, he initiates. Hmm. And God initiated this new season, which is really leading Lifeway through a time of crisis and stabilization and reinvention for the future. So it's, I've had three different leadership assignments. One of a large church as a young man 
the second as a church planter, and then now as a CEO of a company that is moving into a whole new way of doing things. Ben, I, I love that. I love that phrase, uh, divine disturbance. That's a, uh, can you unpack that for a moment? Because I think people have had that and not always known what that was they were experiencing. Well, I think leadership 101, especially in terms of following God, is Proverbs 16, 9. Hmm. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Hmm. You know, we put a lot of pressure on young people to figure out what they're going to do with their life, and they have no idea. God is going to interrupt all their plans. <laughs> he's he's going to take whatever they had in mind and completely turn it upside down. That's everybody's story. Wow. And so I never dreamed I'd be in the place that I'm in. But Richard, I have a feeling as a young man, you never dreamed that you'd be in the place you're in. So no. that's just how it works. Yeah. And I trying to imagine planting a church in the Denver area and then walking into Lifeway Christian Resources is uh, completely two different worlds. Um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and but have you found the, the stuff that God uh, built in your life earlier on, though, I, I'm imagine you're you're drawing upon all that and had no idea that. You're, what you were doing at the time, you thought you'd do the rest of your life. And then God said, no, that's just preparation for the next thing. Yeah, I think God developed some skills in me, but also he's teaching me new ones. Huh. Well, when you came to life, when some people, especially if they're Southern Baptists, they know uh, some of that journey, uh, you, you made some big decisions. I mean, you, you came in, sold some property. Uh, you're, you, you have your staff working uh, largely remotely now. And uh, I mean, you, you get there and then, um, then COVID hits, like it hit everybody else. And you, you know, you, you come in thinking you're coming into one environment and then you begin to have this feeling, oh, I think we're going to have to change some things. How do you do that? I mean, how yeah. do you come in and, and you made some major changes, um, that can be the Waterloo for a lot of leaders. How did you navigate that? Yeah. Uh, and how did you get people to a place that they'd embrace such a radically different way of doing things? Well, when I walked in the doors at Lifeway, the organization was in a state of crisis already. People knew things had to change. I mean, the stores had closed, the business had moved to an online digital experience. And uh, there was a lot of fear hmm. that if things didn't change and begin to change rapidly, that Lifeway may com completely become irrelevant. Hmm. And so when COVID hit specifically, we knew that we could not wait to make incremental and gradual changes. We had to make some bold moves. So yeah, we sold some property we could no longer afford to, to, uh, to maintain. We sold our massive headquarter building in downtown Nashville and went fully remote. Uh, we shut down some things we had done for years because they were not proving anymore to be profitable. But I would say coming out of COVID, because we made those changes, we are faster, more nimble, and moving into the future I think with great speed and velocity compared mm -hmm. to where we were. So that's good news. Wow. Uh, but in a nutshell, it looked like fire sale from the outside, but from the inside, it felt like focus. Huh. Huh. Well, then I've got to tell you, I've worked with a lot of different Lifeway employees in various projects that I've been a part of. And to, to a person, they speak very highly of you. And mm -hmm. it, it just cleared. I, I don't think I've heard a negative word about you. They, Everybody that I relate to that works for you <laughs> uh, certainly uh, loves working with you. And, and you know, some of the things I've heard is just you're a relational person. They, they love the yeah. fact that if they get in an elevator with you, they, they feel like you really care about them. You know them and notice yeah. them. And is that, a, is that a, a, a leadership philosophy you have? Or how is that? How do you do that? Because you're, you're a busy guy with a lot of people, a lot of employer, employees, 
how can you still be relational when you've got yeah. millions of dollars of, of product you got to be overseeing and everything else? That's a great question. You know, I, I think my leadership philosophy comes down to about three things. Here, here's my secret sauce. I mean, everybody has theirs. Yeah. <laughs> Number one, I had a deacon in my first church say this to me, that people want to work with you and not for you. Hmm. That's always stuck with me, Richard, that it really mm. is true. Um, I like working under somebody who includes me, respects me, honors what I have to offer. I want to go to bat for that person. I do not respond well when I'm in another, a command and control environment. Mm. And so the first thing I try to do when I lead is just create a soft, safe, and relational environment where people feel like they're appreciated. And that takes a ton of hard work and intentionality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the second thing I would say, someone told me this a long time ago, that success is when the people know who know you best respect you most. Hmm. Hmm. And in a world, the position in which I live in, people are always saying things about me and always having perceptions about me. But, you know, at the end of the day, if my direct reports, my family, my team know my heart, I can live with that. Hmm. And I don't have to spend the rest of my life chasing down my critics. Mm, yeah. Because <laughs> that can become very, very exhausting. And, and usually pretty unproductive. That's right. Yeah. And then the last thing I would say is uh, in church planting, I learned this. Invite people into your life and not to a location. Hmm. You know, I think in the church world, we think if I can just get my unchurched neighbor to church so they can hear the preacher, then I've really scored in evangelism. I don't think that's how it works at all. I think when you get them into your house, you have a meal with them, you show them that you actually care about them, take an interest in them. That's when influence really starts. Hmm. And so I try to lead that way. Jesus spent a lot of time in people's homes. He ate a lot of meals with people. Uh, hmm. He hung out with them in their turf. And I think in order to have influence, you really have to get on their turf and show that you care. Hmm. Hmm. That's that's awesome. I, you know, you, you've gone remote in large part. I mean, I remember back in the day, the Lifeway buildings uh, uh, of 20 years ago were massive. I mean, you just, you, you needed rollerblades to like make your way through all the different <laughs> buildings and, and right. uh, production centers. And, uh, and now it's remote. And, and like, there's a, I know through, especially through COVID, a lot of people have looked at that. I, I have some CEO friends who sold massive buildings and it's all remote now. Others yeah. that just, you know, for various reasons couldn't do that. But what, what's the secret to that? I mean, because that can also be a massive fail if it's not done right. Um, Absolutely. And so, so how do you do it? What, what, do you, what are you trying to do to make sure that that, that model works for you in the long term? Here's what we're doing to tr make it, make it possible. And, I would say this, everybody's experimenting with this. We don't know if this works long-term. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's going to work, but here's what we're doing. Two times a year, we bring in the entire organization. We fly everybody in and we have like a massive worship and vision casting uh, conference mm -hmm. where we, we sing, we, we hear testimony of how our products are changing lives. We give updates on things that are about to come out, be released. It's a pep rally. Yeah. On top of that, individual departments normally add a day to that, and they have their own departmental meetings where they really get a lot of planning and ideation and collaboration done. And then they go home. Everybody goes home. And we feed off that for a good two to three weeks, so just the momentum of that event. Hmm. And then between those two month, two, two events, which is like about every six months, we have a series of checkpoints of here are some other kinds of meetings that we need to schedule in order to, to make this collaborative.
Hmm. We are right now designing a teaming space in Nashville, 50,000 square foot of nothing but really cool conference rooms hmm. and good coffee. <laughs> and we think we can, we can, you know, kind of like the church does, you know, we can gather and scatter, gather hmm. and scatter. Hmm. And we just need a good spot to do that. So hmm. we're learning a ton. We're making a lot of mistakes. It's really hard to make remote employees feel like true children and not stepchildren. Yeah. And that, that's, that's always the question is, how do you build a culture between people that may see each other two times a year? Yeah. And yet they make I, them a team. That, that is the challenge. And we are trying everything we can to, to see if we can tackle it because we now are able to draw talent from all over the country and world to the team. We don't have to ask people, okay, you can work for us, but you got to move to Nashville. And I don't know what the market is like in Atlanta, but trying to find a house in Nashville is yeah. terrible. Hmm. And so we're going with the flow of the culture, but again, it's all an experiment. Yeah. Well, I love it. And, 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 and I think, you know, we've all done a million Zoom and other kind of calls like that. And, and I, I'm assuming technology is going to just keep improving in terms of team building kinds of exercises you can do that way. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bold move. Um, and, you know, I think that, and you work a lot with, with pastors and church leaders, and there's a lot of pastors who see their church right on the edge of either major decline or a turnaround, and it and often comes to a bold, courageous uh, change that some churches just can't bring themselves to make. And, uh, you know, and they, and so that you look 10 years down the road and they realize, wow, we had an opportunity there. We didn't take it. And now look where we are. Um, You're absolutely right. I, we've, we've had I, to say, it's just, it's, it takes courage to lead these days. It always has, but I think especially now. Everybody wants it to be different. Nobody wants it to change. <laughs> That's a difficult <laughs> formula. <laughs> now you and, have, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, well, I just think I agree with you. I pop in on a lot of churches. I preach in a lot of churches and they say they want to change, but they really don't want to pay the price to make the changes. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're just slowly dying year by year um, and the church is whittling down and eventually the property gets sold to another growing church and they merge. I mean, it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. We've said uh, we I've worked a lot with Mark Clifton. We just had him on a podcast and uh, he, he has a great saying, uh, your church is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting right now. And That's churches right. often want different results, but they don't want to change the design. They, they That's right. Uh, and you, you have to make the changes to get different results. But uh, and so you, you did that. Certainly, there's a lot of folks praying for you that, um, you know, you're going to bear much fruit as a result. But I also know that you um, you are a, a man who loves his family. And uh, I'm friends with you on Facebook. And I love seeing pictures of you and your kids. Uh, it just looks like a really fun family. And I know that that's your heart. I know that you have, a, you, you do podcasts and other, uh, other things as well. And you really seem to focus on helping leaders and pastors not sacrifice their families trying to right. save their church. And uh, do you have a, a message about that? Because we, we say that yeah. Certainly, probably the well, certainly the most significant leadership role people will ever have is just leading in their home. Just uh, you may have grown yeah. your church and doubled the attendance, but lost your three kids in the process, and that's not a that's not a win. Uh, how that's do you right. how do you fulfill God's calling on your life, and yet, and especially like with you, all you're doing now and all the demands on your time, and yet, it, it, at least from afar, it certainly looks like your kids are doing well. And uh, they are doing well. We have four teenagers. Our our oldest is about to go off to college this fall, so that'll change the dynamics for sure. Mm -hmm. 
But we went through a crisis over the last two years, Richard. Um, We started a podcast called The Glass House, which is about how do you lead a family well while the whole world is watching you do it? Hmm. Pastors Hmm. especially feel this pressure, like everybody's watching their lives. And, you know, 1 Timothy 3 says, he who manages his own household is able to manage the church. And so it's scary to a pastor and his wife to think, man, if our kids go down the wrong road, we're, we're not just going to lose our kids. We're going to lose our whole job, our calling. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're out in the street. Yeah. And I think what happens in ministry is because we're afraid that our issues might blow up or blow up our ministry, we just don't talk about them. Yeah. We just shove them under a rug. And so when Lindley and I got off 17 years of every Sunday hmm. to come to Lifeway, we realized there were a lot of emotional issues and challenges we had suppressed that that really needed to come out and get healed. Hmm. And we've spent the better part of the last two years just walking through a counseling process just to make sure we're healthy about, wow. you know, traumas we've experienced as a family and difficulties with our with our parents and hmm. things like that. that just need to be discussed and processed. Wow. Wow. Good for you. I, and uh, what, what if you were just looking at what it's going to take to lead kids successfully in this kind of world, a culture that's very oftentimes just outright hostile to the Christian message these days. Um, you're sending them off to college. Um, you don't know what kind of professor's agenda they may be sitting under. And, uh, and now, you know, you're, they're still your kids, but if they're 17, 18, they, they're adults now and with their own mind of their own. What, what do you, how do you do, what do you do to prepare them for this kind of culture that they have to swim in now that uh, is very different yeah. than even, for us just even a few years ago. Well, I'd be lying if I didn't say I didn't have a lot of fear around mm. where the culture's headed and the challenges my kids and grandkids are going to face. Um, it's a trajectory that really is, it, it scares me mm. um, where it's headed. However, I, I think the secret um, is relatability. Mm. I think your kids need to be able to relate to you, which means you have to let your guard down and share your struggles. Mm. Appropriately, of course, you don't share everything with your kids, but you know, if I'm dealing with something really hard at work, I'll, we'll sit down as a family and say, hey, I need you guys to pray for me. I'm really struggling with a decision at work, and it's making me feel uh, sad. Hmm. And I'm carrying a lot of emotions around me right now because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to lose their jobs if I make this decision or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I just find that coming out with it and giving them a view of your inner world makes you a relatable person, and they want to follow that. I think vulnerability is endearing. Hmm. to all people, but especially to your kids. So hmm. Lindley and I have been very upfront, even when we started going to counseling. Yeah. We told our kids we were going to counseling, and, and now when we come home, they're like, how was counseling? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, and so- I, I really, I, well, I tell you what, I, I really commend you for just being uh, honest about that. And what, I'm sure there's some people listening right now, and it, and I, I'm guessing it's not like you guys had just deep, horrific issues as much as, trying to stay healthy. I, I think because, you know, I've, I've gone to various people over the years and just want to touch base with someone just to get my bearings and make sure I, yes. I'm, you know, I'm going hard and uh, th- th- there's got to be wear and tear with all I've been through. And, um, but, I, but I know that the stigma of that, I, I, I just grieve over some really hurting, especially pastors, because I've, I've been around pastors all my life as well. And I, I just know some that are just deeply wounded and hurting, but yes. they would rather die than go to a counselor and Agreed. go with their wife. And and so they'd kind of carry a lot of stuff that they really could have processed if they'd had the courage. And is there any word you'd give to 
Because like I think we have a leadership coaching ministry here. It's a little different than counseling, but still someone that lets you just process the things going on in your life. And, uh, and, and I, I encourage pastors, they ought to be touching base with someone, you know, every year, every other year, just like a checkup, just doesn't mean that you're a dysfunctional person. It just means you're a person that lives in a difficult world and, and needs yes. help thinking it through. If I was a pastoral minister, again, I would require all of my staff to go through at least six sessions a year with their spouse, with a counselor, just to pop the hood on the emotional uh, thing and ask the question, am I, am I anxious? Hmm. Am I constantly worried? Am I full of shame over a mistake I've made? Uh, am I fearful about the future and how is that affecting me? Hmm. Have I forgiven the people who have hurt me, particularly those in the church who have left? Because hmm. a lot of people have left during COVID. Yeah. Uh, we're all human beings. We carry those wounds with us. And if we don't have someone we can talk to, and it's dangerous to talk to people in the church about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you need a safe place to process all that. And I've seen some pastors, I'll tell you, my, my oldest son is a church planter in Canada and and you, you, you're trying to, no one's ever navigated COVID before. And so you, you're, you're praying, you're seeking counsel, and then you, you step out, you have to make a decision. And then it seems no matter what decision you make, somebody leaves the church over it. That's I, right. I know at a certain point, my son just said, I've got to stop making decisions. Every time I make a decision, I lose people. I, I can't yeah. afford to keep doing that. Uh, but you're right. There's probably more than any other field of work, your emotions are so tied up to that because you... You know, my son will say, I I mean, I had those people over to my house for dinner. Like I went, right. I cheered their kids on and they played sports. I was on the sideline cheering them on. And then because I thought we need, we all should wear a mask for this next month, that they left my church over a mask. Right. I, and and uh, it's hard not to take that personally as a leader. Absolutely. It's yeah. traumatizing is what it is. And there, whenever there's trauma, just like physical trauma, there's a period of healing. You know, I remember in high school when I sprained my ankle in a basketball game. I mean, I could hardly walk for two weeks. It was so bruised up. Hmm. We get bruised up on the inside hmm. in ministry, particularly. And people can't see it, but man, it's inflamed in there. Hmm. Uh, and if you don't deal with that, if you don't process that, you become bitter hmm. and you become full of anxiety. Uh, and you, you often need somebody to kind of be a midwife for you, hmm. help you give birth to your feelings so you can get them out of you and get healthy again, sort it all out. Hmm. Here's my story. Lindley and I went to our first counseling session and I tell people this, I went because I felt like she needed that. <laughs> it's a typical husband. <laughs> so in the first session, he's asking me all these questions and I'm like, I don't think he gets it. We're here for her. <laughs> And I'm giving him the best responses, Richard. I mean, I'm talking three points in a poem for everything he asks. I'm thinking this is probably the best counseling session he's ever heard. And he stops me and he says, Ben, I just got to tell you something. I'm really lonely with you right now. And I'd never had a man tell me that before. And he said, you're giving me all these answers out of your head. I'm not getting anything from your heart. Hmm. And that was really the beginning of the journey for me of understanding that I can live in my head and have all the right answers and still be like not right in my heart. Hmm. Hmm. And I think any pastor who's been pastoring a church through COVID, it would be a investment, not expense, an investment hmm. to go sit down with your wife for six or eight sessions and just talk out loud about how hard it's been. Hmm. 
Wow. And it doesn't mean you're a failure. It actually means you're a success. It, it means that you had the courage and honesty just to address a problem. And that's how you solve problems, by addressing them and acknowledging them. That's right. Wow. Well, I, well, I, you, I, I really appreciate that. And uh, I, 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 are you, are you and your wife, personality-wise, are you, are you opposites or? Oh, she is a strong Enneagram Eight. If you follow the Enneagram, which is a challenger personality. <laughs> so Lindley's an activist. Like she's, she needs a cause. She, she cares <laughs> deeply about what is right. Uh, where I'm a, I'm more of a seven, which is like life of the party. Let's just hang out and have fun. And so, I mean, I think everybody marries the wrong person, right? I mean, everybody thinks they're marrying this person that's just going to spend their life telling them how wonderful they are, but that's not how it works. Yeah. That didn't last long in our marriage. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so, you know, our, our opposite things. And when we're walking in the Holy spirit, they make us close. Yeah. But when we're, when we're in the flesh, which is often, Hmm. They they drive us away from what they make us want to run from each other. Hmm. You know, I've I've found is my own theory, but like my wife and I, we, when, if you take you know uh, Myers Briggs or something, some of the older ones, like we don't have one letter that overlaps. You know, just whatever letter I am, she's the other one, <laughs> and and, uh, and so of course that can be the, the recipe for all kinds of conflict. But but I also find that it it can also drive you into really some really good places you would never have been driven otherwise and and there are times where it's like if, if you don't kill each other you're going to end up coming up with a really awesome synergy that it's yes. worth it's worth the effort to get there and then all of a sudden you've got all this new insight and growth and beauty that's been added to your character because you took the time just to process with your spouse and uh and that's certainly been my story um you know my wife sometimes uh, in moments has said you know you should have married someone more like your your, your, your yourself or or your mother or someone that kind of leans more toward you and I said, no, I really think I needed someone that would just keep me grounded. You know, she, my wife's Canadian and they don't put anybody on pedestals. It's, uh, she's got my feet <laughs> firmly nailed to the ground. <laughs> she's not impressed. No, she's not. She is not. And she, uh, she loves me, but she's probably not going to go to my fan club meetings, you know? So, yeah. um, and, uh, and I've needed that. I, it's kept, I feel like it's kept me real, kept me, uh, more humble and, uh, yes. And I needed that for ministry in this world. You, you kind of need those things. And, uh, and so I'm like, yeah, I'm glad that you don't just sit there and cheer regardless of how I'm acting or behaving. You still think I'm great. I Sometimes I right. need to, I've been called out by my wife and I've needed it every time. So right. any, any last words of advice? Just This is, uh, you know, people who entered the leadership field 20 years ago, might have felt really well equipped and well read and prepared and and now stuff is hitting there's a different cultural feel to things now than even five years ago um leading successfully then if you haven't been growing as a leader in the last five years you are grossly out of date at this point that's right um but in any kind of things you're seeing that leaders if you're going to be effective as a leader in the years to come you'd say you're going to have to be able to do X. Yeah. Here, here's the way I've been talking about it. I, I think it really comes down to being a multidimensional person. Hmm. So I think being a healthy leader means filling five buckets. And I'll hit them real quick. It's, it's health, hobbies, family, and friends. Hmm. And work. Those are the five. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, 
we tend to fill the work bucket until it's full. And then what it, whatever's left over after that, we put some drops in the other four. <laughs> but those four things, the guys I know in ministry that are, they just sustained their witness. They're still strong. They enjoy the ministry. They refuse to let the work bucket get all the water. Huh. So they take mm. their health seriously. They enjoy exercise. They find hobbies. They, they, they do things like woodworking or they, they read biography or they go on history tours. They, they find things that are interesting that make them interesting people. And then their family comes first in their life, not just their close immediate family, but their extended family. If there's an issue going on with a parent, they take time to deal with it, not just put it away. Mm-hmm. And then friendship, like they genuinely have friends who love them, who if they quit their jobs tomorrow, they would say, great, we can have more time together. Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm surveying the land of pastors that are healthy, Richard, I'm seeing those five things in their life in right proportion. Hmm. Hmm. And because we're in a constantly connected world, it's a battle to stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Work is just always knocking. Even right now, since we're talking, I think I got six <laughs> texts right now. Like, it never stops. <laughs> so you have to take care of yourself. And very few ministry leaders take care of themselves. Very few. Yeah, and, and if they do, they feel guilty for for doing it. Yeah. Did uh, and how? So how do you stay focused? Like, people have often asked about. Maybe one last question for you. Just balance. I was asked again. I was meeting with a bunch of military chaplains last week, and that was the first question: Is you know, with all that we've got, how do you keep balance? And I just, I've never felt like you could be balanced. Certainly in a day, if you measure balance over a lifetime, hopefully you, everything balances out. But, but what's your answer to that? You got these frazzled torn in different places, leaders and pastors, and they say, how do I keep balance in my life? I've said, well, that may be the problem. You're, you're chasing something that's elusive. That's right. I mean, I think there's anchor habits Hmm. that we put into our life, like spending time in the morning with the Lord or prayer walking at night. There's things that we do that we're just going to be committed to it because it brings some order to the chaos. But I I think you're right, Richard. I'm always imbalanced in some way. It's just a matter of course correcting. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I think I think what I heard a guy say recently is so true is that when we see a season coming up, like for a pastor, it might be the Easter season. Uh, it's wise to put some rest on the front and the back end of that hmm. to just block off a couple of days before, a couple of days after, to just say I'm going to rest before and after this mad season of sprinting, hmm. and I'm going to spend some quality time with my wife before it happens and after it happens. Hmm. The, the guys I know that are doing well with that, that's what they're doing. They're putting safeguards in so that the imbalance doesn't become extended imbalance. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, something I, I, I feel like the Lord's done with me is just to be all in at whatever you're doing. So, uh, you know, my, my oldest son, Mike, the other day, was he was reminiscing about my parent. He was up actually on a platform talking about my parenting. I was leaning in like, okay, what's he going to say? But And he started off by saying, my dad was the busiest person I ever knew. He said, I never saw my dad wasting time. My dad never sitting around not doing something. And I, I'm starting to feel hot, you know, <laughs> like, uh, where is this going? I don't think I like this. Uh, but then he said, but, you know, and in the evenings, he might be in his office, like working on a book or doing something. But, but he said, anytime I walked into his office, he'd look up from whatever he's doing, look straight at me. And I had 100% of my dad till I had what I needed. And I have no doubt when I left his office, he got back to work. But 
you know, but I've known people that were technically there with their kids, but they were watching the ball game, you know, or they were on their phone. I mean, they were in the room and they could say, well, I'm, I've got my balanced lifestyle. I had this many hours at home with my family, but they weren't really there. And I don't right. know if that's always an excuse, but to at least say over the, if you look at a time chart, you might not have had equal time everywhere, but when you were with your kids, were you really with them? I mean, were you a hundred percent there with your phone put away? And if not, you know, just putting in hours, uh, checking boxes isn't necessarily the yes. same thing. Well, home is a culture and mm. culture is created by the positive behaviors we celebrate and the negative behaviors we tolerate. Mm. So what I'm learning as a dad is it's just, it's showing up and seeing what to celebrate and seeing what not to tolerate. It's those two things. Wow. Wow. And, and in order to do that, you got to pay attention. You got to be around enough to see it when it happens to say, Hey, what you just did there with your brother was fantastic. I'd love to see you do that more or to step in and say, guys, we're not doing that. That's not who we are as a family. That's not how we're going to roll. We're that's not an option. Wow. Wow. Um, and, and we mess it up every day, Richard, you and I both know <laughs> nobody gets it all right. We're not yeah. batting a thousand. Yeah. Uh, I feel like a major league baseball player. If I'm batting 287, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Without many kids. Uh, well, Ben, I knew that our time would just race by and I really appreciate, uh, you taking time just to get on our, our uh, podcast today, but yeah. so much wisdom and humility and insight. I really appreciate that. We're, we'll leave, uh, some links, uh, to, to Ben and things that he's done in the podcast, uh, that he does all of that, all the resources, we could just steer your way. Whatever Ben does is just so thoughtful and helpful. And I hope that you'll take advantage of that as well. And looking forward to to being with you in a a few weeks at the uh, convention as well. And really appreciate all you're doing to promote experiencing God. And uh, yeah, man, got got it right here on my desk. (laughs) I'm I'm midway through it. Haven't gone through it in 15 years. Every time I go out and speak right now, Richard, I'm taking about 50 to a hundred copies and just handing them out. I mean, I had a guy come up to me the other day and say, man, I got nothing to give a new believer at my church. What should I give him? I said, experiencing God. Wow. It's still the best resource for somebody who just needs some guidance on how to walk with God. So, man, thanks for allowing us to hit the refresh button on it. I love the new look and the new yeah. vibe. I, I think it's great. Your, your, your folks did an awesome job. It was great working with them. But Ben, thank well, you. Uh, keep yeah, leading man. well and keep praying for Ben. He's got a huge assignment and the potential so so much so to, to impact the whole world for Christ. And so praying for you. Proud of just what God's doing through your life and, uh, and love just seeing the way you invest in your family and your marriage. It's an inspiration to all the rest of us. Well, thanks, Richard. And I look forward to being back with you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, it really makes a difference if you leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We always love hearing from our listeners. So email us at podcast at blackme.org.